Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for this day, this chance again to gather in this place this week called Thanksgiving Week for the bounties that we have experienced this week, your goodness, your kindness, your love, having family around. For these things we are thankful. And we thank you, Lord, for the amazing experience we had in this house one week ago when we worshiped before your throne and gave praise to the Lamb and the one seated on the throne. Now, Lord, give us a therefore to go with that experience. Help us to hear these words today. In Jesus' name, amen. It was an amazing Sabbath last week. I hope you were able to be here. A powerful time of worship before the throne of God where we worshiped the lamb who was slain, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and and our praise went out to the one seated on the throne. And it was powerful, and I interacted with different people at different times through the course of the week, ran into them in various places, the grocery store, here at the church, other places, and all of our hearts were still full from that experience. And the power that we felt going together as a people and joining with the the thousands and thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 angels before the throne and worshiping it filled us with hope and courage. But what does an experience like that mean for right now? After something like that, we need a, a therefore. And I looked around in the Bible and I found a therefore for us. And here it is, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and very appropriately begins with, Therefore, so consider what I'm about to read you as the therefore after what we experience. So here you go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now I want to reflect on those three verses for a moment here, and I want to start our reflection in verse 2, where should we be looking? We should be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Well, why should we be looking at him? What did he do? Well, he did this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then after he'd done that, what did he do? And then he sat down 
at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see how this is exactly about what we were talking about last week? About the picture at the throne of God where the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb slain, appears and comes to the throne and sits down. After Jesus overcame and was victorious, he took his seat at the throne. Now look at verse 3. Why should we look at Jesus? It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. And why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Does the challenge of life ever cause you to be weary and sometimes maybe lose heart? This passage is telling us to keep our eyes on Jesus and remember how he has overcome and it will help us to not grow weary and lose heart. Let's go back to verse 1. What is the context in which all this happens? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are the witnesses? Well, we talked about them last week. At the throne, there's 24 elders. At the throne are four living creatures covered with eyes. At the throne are thousands and thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 angels. And we joined with them, and they were the crowd of witnesses for our worship last Sabbath. And as we live our lives, And since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, what should we do? The text says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Have you ever run through vines growing along the ground. You're running along and what happens? They wrap around your ankles and they entangle you and they slow you down. This passage is telling us there is a course we must run and we need to run it without the entanglements and the sins that hinder us. And how is it that we are to run? It says, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. What do you suppose that perseverance word is? You ever heard that uh, hupomone word before? Did we ever mention that one here? I feel like we have. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the commandments of God. Here is the hupomone of the saints. It showed up in the letter to Ephesus. It shows up as a marker of those who are persevering in the course that God has laid out for them, for those who are running the race that God has given them. So this Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, I suggest to you as the appropriate therefore to our experience last week. We had this amazing experience at the throne of God Therefore, let us now run the race that the Lord has given us with perseverance, remembering that Jesus Christ is at the throne and keeping our eyes on him and remembering the hope that came to us in that moment 
of praise before God's throne. This is the therefore to last Sabbath. The so what, the natural outcome of that honest experience. Therefore, let us throw off sin and run with endurance all the days of our lives. Couple points we need to notice here. Every one of us in this room has sins that seek to come up and entangle our feet and hinder us from running the course that Jesus would have us run. The second point, to run with endurance means that our lives will sometimes be lives of challenge that will require patient endurance for us to reach the end of our race. There will be sins that entangle. There will be challenges in life, but we are to throw off the sin and we are to continue with perseverance. Verse 4 In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I read things like that and I think, you mean we should be willing to shed our blood? And then I think, how soft am I? How soft are we? What is our expectation of this life of faith? Hebrews 12, verse 5. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? Interesting word. This word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. It's a quote from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, though I bet that's not one of the Proverbs we tend to spend a lot of time thinking about. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because he disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as, our son, as a son. That's not the kind of verse we tend to grab onto. Yet, the author of Hebrews says it is a word of encouragement to remember that the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastens those he accepts. Now, I know in life sometimes suffering and hardship come upon a person totally unfairly. They did nothing wrong, yet they suffer. There have been times in my life I did nothing wrong and I suffered. However, if I was willing to be honest, the number of times I've suffered because I didn't do anything wrong are maybe 5% of the times I've suffered because I did do something wrong. Not every hardship that comes upon my life comes without a context. Sometimes I got myself into the trouble. That's kind of how it's been in my life. Has it ever been that way in yours? And let's just think about this for a minute. 
Lung cancer can strike anyone regardless of how they've lived their life. It's a truth. We know it's true. However, if you're a woman, your chances of getting lung cancer are 13 times higher if you smoke. If you're a man, it's 23 times higher. There's connections sometimes, aren't there? How about this one? It is nearly impossible to get a sexually transmitted disease if you remain a virgin until marriage, you marry a virgin, and neither of you ever cheats. You know, I don't hear that talked about much. But you know, all those diseases would be gone in one generation if everybody just followed this? Yeah, sometimes things are connected, aren't they? No one who never drank ever lost their family because they became an alcoholic. Right? Doesn't matter if you were born with a tendency to be an alcoholic or not. If you never took the first drink, you never lost your family because of it. That's not to say you didn't do something else dumb and lost them anyway, but it is to make this one point. But now you may be thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you just speak heresy and accuse God of causing cancer in people who smoke? Or accuse God of causing STDs in promiscuous people? Or or accuse God of, of causing alcoholism in innocent people who were just drinking socially? Well, I hope I didn't do that. But let me turn this around and pose it a different way. Do you expect God to automatically deliver you from all these things, even when you refuse to make good decisions. Is it God's job to save you from the natural consequences of the course of life you've chosen? There is the discipline that happens in our lives as a punishment for unwise actions, such as when your parents take away your phone because you were posting inappropriate content or inflammatory political messages. And some of you children need to take away your parents' phones (laughs) for what they've been posting lately. And then there's the discipline that happens in our lives as a direct result of natural consequences, such as, I don't lose my phone because I was posting unwisely, I lose it because I left it on the table at Starbucks when I went back to my car. Both cases, I lost my phone, right? Do we ever deserve the hardships we face? Do we ever receive discipline from the Lord? It's an uncomfortable question, isn't it? Hebrews 12, verse 7 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Now I know, this is a teaching that's way out of step with the times, isn't it? It's just uncomfortable to read it. 
And we might be tempted to think, is it, is it just plain wrong? Certainly we can find fault here with extreme interpretations. I think we would agree there is a line between discipline from a father and abuse from a father, though sometimes I wonder if we've forgotten where that line really ought to be. Are we willing to concede that God the Father not only disciplines us sometimes, but that he in fact has a right and even a need to do so? Or is our life just supposed to be easy days, trouble-free nights, and an endless round of me getting whatever I want while God protects me from any negative outcomes that would naturally follow my decision-making? Hebrews 12, verse 10. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. You see, we should want to do that. After we've been at the throne of God, after we've experienced worship with the holy ones, we should want to share in that holiness. So often we hate the hardships and the disciplines of life and we continually pray against them. But do we ever consider that the hardships might actually be good for us in the end and might actually play a huge role in securing us for God's kingdom? I won't lie to you. I don't like thinking this way. Why? Verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So which child is the child at peace? The one that's been disciplined and directed and taught how to behave? or the one who's been left without any structure at all. We aren't farmers, most of us, and we lose the meaning of some of these references. This last verse says, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness. So we're not farmers, and we don't really live by a by a harvest kind of schedule. And I think sometimes it costs us a little bit of the joy of the experience of of a season like Thanksgiving. There's a reason it takes place in the fall. It's a harvest festival. You see, long ago when people lived like this, winter was about surviving. Because you just had to live off of whatever you still had stored. And the first part of the year was the time for planting. But you see, if you didn't maintain discipline and you went into the storehouse and because you were hungry or you were tired of eating the other stuff, you took what was supposed to be seed and you ate it, then you wouldn't have anything to plant, would you? 
So you had to be disciplined and leave that alone, even if you were hungry, so that when spring came, you could go in there and get it. And you had to be disciplined and go out and plow the field. And then you had to be disciplined and scatter your seed in the field. And then you prayed for rain. And then throughout the year, you went out and you worked in the field. And if you were disciplined and you were blessed, at the end of the year was abundance, a harvest of blessing. And in joy, you gathered your family together and experienced the blessing of the year. But it took discipline to do it right. And if you weren't disciplined enough to keep your seed, then you experienced the punishment of no harvest, didn't you? Or you weren't disciplined enough to prepare the ground or scatter the seed, maybe it would come up. You didn't work the field throughout the year, maybe there was some harvest, but the only way to have the bountiful harvest was to stay disciplined all year long. Now, I know many of this generation, ourselves included, myself included, we've gotten a little soft. But this is no time for being soft. We are the people of the churches, the ones with ears that hear what the Spirit says. We are the soon-to-be-victorious in Jesus Christ. We have tasted the experience of worship at the throne of God. That's what we did last Sabbath. We can't turn back now in weakness just because things get tough. Verse 12, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. And how about this for words for our troubled times? Verse 14, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone who agrees with my perspectives. Aren't you glad the Bible accommodates us like that? It doesn't, does it? Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Live at peace with everyone. Now, not everyone will be willing to live at peace with you, but you're supposed to try. And don't fall short of the grace of God. What does that mean? Well, one of the things it means is don't fall short of showing grace like God does. And don't be bitter. Bitterness will sit at your core and spoil every experience of good that God tries to give you. These are examples of the things that hinder and the sin that so easily entangles. And there's a few more here. Verse 16, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritant rights as the oldest son. 
Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what had been done. There are consequences for the choices that we make. Therefore, be mindful and wise in all things. God has blessed us and given us much, but it is still possible for us to fritter it all away in foolishness, isn't it? And there are, in fact, fearful consequences for deliberate disobedience. But I I need to tell you, you need to know, there is more than this. There is also grace for us. Verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. That's not where we are. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This is where we were last Sabbath. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Know this, we do not stand today on the fear-filled plain before Mount Sinai, but instead, in Jesus, we are seated in heavenly places with the elders, with the living creatures, with the thousands of angels. We are in the right place. But that also means that it is all the more imperative that we have ears that hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? I hardly need to comment on that, do I? Jesus is calling to us from the throne of his Father. And he's calling us in grace and in love. And we heard the different messages that Jesus gives as we studied those different letters to the churches. And our hearts were convicted and inspired. So what is it I want to say about all this? Well, I already said it, or at least the author of Hebrews already said it. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. You know what you're thinking about right now that hinders you in your run of faith. 
Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How are we going to do it? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you and me, we will not grow weary and lose heart. Have you nearly lost heart? Are you weary? Our lives are filled with enough challenge and pain and trouble. Let's not make more trouble for ourselves through foolishness. And let's not lose heart when it gets difficult. Instead, keep thinking about Jesus, the worthy lamb who was slain, the one who endured so much for our sake. And by considering him, perhaps, through experiences like we had last Sabbath, before the throne, perhaps we will find the courage to endure, to hupomone, to persevere, to run the race marked out for us for his sake. You have a race. I have a race. Jesus had a race. Jesus ran his race in faithfulness to the Father. None of us are going to run our races as perfectly as he did. It's already too late for that. But we can run with perseverance in the grace that is ours through the one who ran his race with perfection. And we can hang on to our courage and persevere even when it's tough even when we don't deserve the trouble, even when we do deserve the trouble. You see, last Sabbath we tasted for a moment what the kingdom of God will be like. And it was sweet, wasn't it? So sweet. There remains in this chapter one more therefore. I share it with you, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's Thanksgiving. And we are here together Worshiping the Lord again. And we have experienced how God is a consuming fire. And we hear him calling. Calling us to a life of patient endurance. Of hupomone. For the sake of his kingdom. No, for the sake of our kingdom with him. So here's my therefore for you. Therefore, be thankful and endure. And when we have overcome, God will grant us 
the kingdom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, only by grace through Jesus will we be able to endure and overcome. But grace through Jesus is exactly what you offer. And even now you are sending your Holy Spirit to our hearts to free us from everything that would hinder and entangle our feet so that we can run with endurance this race you've set before us. Lord, give us courage. If we've come discouraged today, give us hope. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And in him, find courage to go on. In his name we pray. Amen.